I hope you have your Bible with you today. I want you to turn with me now. We have been in chapter 4. We're going to be there in just a second, but go to chapter 2 is where we'll begin, and you'll understand why in just a moment. The theme of Ephesians, we have decided, was I will build my church. This is what Jesus said, and that is what he is doing. And we continue with that theme today. And part of, uh, let me say this, what we are covering today is part of how God does that. I know we've talked in weeks past about he gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers for the perfecting or the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, the building up of the body of Christ, not only in quality, but also in quantity. And that is all true. But also one of the ways he does that, it's not just the facts of that and the proclamation of the gospel and teaching people how to share the gospel, but there's also the other aspects of that in meeting needs of one another and being there as one another. I've entitled this today, The New Life in Action. We talked about the new life last week. Today we're going to be talking about the new life in action. And of course, the whole concept of salvation in the Christian life, I have preached on the issue, the whole Bible in three verses, the whole Bible in three verses. And really what you have in Ephesians 2 verses 8 through 10 is the whole Bible in three verses, the whole message of the Bible. And what do we see? We see in verse 8, Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace are ye saved. Now, how do you get to heaven? Well, for by grace are you saved through faith in Jesus Christ, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. We are sinners. We are lost. We are guilty. We stand condemned before God. There's nothing we can do to work our sin off. If this is you and me and my wallet is our sin, we're sinners. That sin separates us from God. To get to heaven, you have to be without it. None of us are. We're sinners. God says we're guilty. And we stand, at this point, we stand condemned. And if we die with our sin, we'll be lost forever in hell. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. God doesn't want that for us. No good works will get rid of this sin. That is the whole reason Jesus came. This hand representing him. God in the flesh, the sinless one, he came, the sinless one, to take the sins of the sinners upon himself. He became sin for us as a substitute. Jesus died, took our sin, paid the complete payment for our sin, died, was buried, rose from the grave. And he says in his word that if you will believe, if you'll put your faith in him that he made that payment for you, the moment you do, the payment is good on your behalf and God gives you eternal life. If you reject the payment Jesus made, if you do not trust him as your savior, you are then still responsible for your sin. That is why people die, and that is why people go to hell. We just covered this Wednesday night, didn't we, in church? People say, well, no, 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 that's not true. The reason you go to hell is because you haven't believed in Christ. That's true, but that's not the only reason. Why do you have to believe in Christ? It's because you need a payment for your sin. And the payment for your sin is not good on your behalf until you believe. Jesus said, if you don't believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. So yes, he made the payment, but the payment is no good for you until you trust him, until you accept the payment he made. And when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you are saved. He gives you eternal life. Once you're saved, is that the end? No, that's the beginning. 
And that's what verse 10 is about. For we are his workmanship. The thing made, the product is what it means. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto, for the purpose of, good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Doesn't say we must or we will, but it says we should. You see, grace always brings with it, there's freedom. Grace is freedom, okay? It it produces liberty. But God doesn't want us to use our liberty, our freedom, as an occasion to sin. He wants us to use our liberty, our freedom, as an opportunity, an occasion to serve him. Not because we have to, but because we should. And because that is how ministry continues on in the world. And so we have been saved to live a life that glorifies Jesus Christ. Now, with that in mind, jump ahead over to chapter 4, and we're going to pick up in verse 20. We covered this last week, but we'll use this as sort of a ramping up into the next part of the text. And it says, but you have not so learned Christ, have not learned what? All the wickedness of the sin nature, all the evil, all the perversion, all the wickedness that we covered last week where Paul said, listen, when you were lost Gentiles, you know how you were and how you lived your life. And he says, don't do that anymore. Don't live that way anymore as a believer. Verse 20, you have not so learned Christ. In other words, Jesus didn't teach you that wicked, immoral, evil lifestyle, lacking self-control. If so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conversation, and that word means manner of life, the old man, the old nature, your sin nature, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that's what the Bible does, it renews our mind, and that you put on the new man, your new nature. In other words, live out through your new nature now, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Before you're saved, you don't have a new man. All you have is the old man. Once you trust Christ, you have a new man. God now wants us to live according to the new man, according to our new nature. We have a new life to live. Now, these verses, verses 20 through 24, these verses teach us the vital doctrine of what I call replacement. Many of you have done, one time or another, you've done home remodeling. Home remodeling can be a wonderful thing. Now, it can be very messy at first. Why? Because you got to get rid of the old and you got to remodel and bring in the new. And hopefully, once you're done with the new, you're happy with the results of that. Now, whereas there is home remodeling, when it comes to the Christian life, the Lord wants us to do life remodeling. It is one thing to forsake, folks, the bad stuff in your life, but if you don't replace it with the good stuff, which God is the one who tells you what that is, your life will be empty. Now, let me say that again. Yes, once we're saved, God wants us to get rid of all the junk, Okay, he doesn't want us practicing the ways of the old life any longer, okay? And he gives us, by his grace, he gives us the ability to live above that. But he wants us to get rid of the old stuff. But if all you do is get rid of the old stuff and you don't learn and put into your life the new stuff, you'll just basically have an empty life. So whereas you were cluttered with old stuff, if you get rid of that, but you don't go any further, you have an empty life. Some Christians fall into that trap. 
They get saved and they learn, oh, wow, boy, I've been wicked. I've been, I've got this in my life. I need to get rid of this and get rid of that and get rid of this and get rid of that and get rid of this and get rid of that. Good. I got rid of all that stuff. Okay, now what do you have? Well, now I really don't have much of anything. Now I've got an empty life. No, as you get rid, put something new and replace it. The new is what God tells us to put in. This is replacement. Forsake the bad stuff, yes, but replace it with the good. Then what'll happen? Then your life will be much better. Your life will be of higher quality. Your life will be blessed by God. But see, folks, here's what happens. If you get rid of the bad and you don't replace the bad with the good and you just have emptiness, here's what happens. Over time, you know what happens? The stuff you threw out, you start bringing it back in piece by piece. I've seen that over and over and over again in people's lives. They make the mistake. Oh, they get saved. They're on fire. They get excited and they're going really good. And then before you know it, they start cooling off. And then before you know it, they start saying things like, well, yeah, I'm doing that again. But you know, it wasn't all that bad. I mean, I was, I had a legalistic mindset. You know, we want to blame everything, you know, anybody who preaches separation, people who don't like the doctrine of separation, they bring out the L card, legalism. Legal. No, friend, listen, if God says get rid of something that's wrong, to get rid of it is not legalism. It's biblical. It's biblical. So this is very important, the doctrine of replacement. Now, verses 25 through 32 give us practical applications of that truth. In other words, some very specific things. And by the way, the list is not exhaustive and it's not complete, but God gives us examples of what he's talking about. Verses 25 through 32, practical applications of the doctrine of replacement. It gives us clear examples of the putting off and the putting on. We are to put off the sins of the old man and we are to put on the qualities of the new man. We are to walk in the spirit and therefore not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. We have a new life to live as Christians, therefore we ought to live the new life that we have in Christ. So how are we, and by the way, what this, it's interesting, what it focuses on is not some flighty concepts out there. The application are very practical, down-to-earth, everyday stuff of the Christian life. And I love that in Scripture. And really what this passage, the rest of this passage deals with is how we are to treat one another as believers, So number one, we see, I've divided into three sections. First is this, we are to have godly actions. We see that in verses 25 through 28, verse 25. Wherefore, putting away lying, (laughs) speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Isn't it amazing that the first thing mentioned is lying? What in the world? Christians don't lie. (laughs) Christians don't lie. Are you still a sinner? You can still lie. Lying is way more than if the answer is no and you say yes, yes, that's a lie. It's way more than that. Deceit. See, we become experts at deceit as we get older. I hate to tell you that, but that's the truth. We become more like lawyers. 
where we can learn how to, well, we're kind of telling the truth. Are you telling the truth or aren't you? Okay, yes or no. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. Be honest, speak the truth, don't be deceitful. Listen, if we are deceitful, we cannot be trusted. And here's the key to this. When you think about the body of Christ, the local church and the body of Christ, here's the truth. Trust is the foundation to all good relationships. There's not one good relationship you can think of in your life that trust is not absolutely essential. It is the bedrock quality that needs to be there. We need to be honest people. We need to be truthful people. Think about the marriage relationship. Listen, if you can't trust each other, you don't have a good marriage. Your marriage is not going to work because trust is the foundation. A friend, one friend to another. If you can't trust your friend, that distrust, because somewhere in there, if you can't trust them, that means somebody's been deceitful. If somebody's been deceitful, it means they've lied. And if you can't trust somebody, you're going to pull away from them. That's just the way it is. We ought to be able to trust one another. Our word should mean everything. Be honest. You might say, well, if I'm honest, it'll cause friction. Therefore, I kind of shade the truth. Oh, the answer to not having friction is to lie? I don't think so. Maybe the answer is to say, hey, let's just sit down and talk. Now, if they're a real friend, they'll hear you out and there can be reconciliation. Trust is a foundation to all good relations. If we mistreat each other, we not only hurt ourselves, but we hurt each other. Why? Look at the end of verse 25. We are members one of another. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 25 and 26 says, and that there should be no schism in the body, talking about the local church, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. This is why we pray for one another. This is why we try to follow up. Listen, nobody's perfect on these things, but let's do our best on this. Why? Because we are one body and everybody affects everybody else. You know, that's the thing that's made this whole COVID thing so difficult with people being sick, people being down, and then there's all the other things that take place within that and how it affects one thing and another and another. And it is basically, you just cripple, you just kind of stagger along and you're hoping one of these days we're going to get healthy. One of these days, everybody will be back. One of these days we can fire on all cylinders again. It's hard right? Think of your family dynamics. One person gets sick or one person goes through this thing or that thing and how the whole family, I know some of our families, there are people dealing with chronic pain. Listen, it's not just that person dealing with chronic pain. Think of the family of that person. That's not an issue of guilt. That's an issue of care. And then when we hear about that, our hearts go out for this person who's suffering. See, folks, that's why we need to care for one another, and that's why we need to, by the way, be our best in Christ for each other. Because remember, the quality of the church is the quality of the people. Church is not a building. 
were members one of another. Whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Remember, we are to fulfill the Great Commission as a church. And to do that, it takes unity. It takes unity. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. Be ye angry and sin not. Oh, pastor, I love those first three words there. I love being angry. I'm a mean Baptist. I got news for you. You got the wrong church. This is a no mean Baptist zone around here. There's enough of them out there already. We want our place that exhibits the truth of God, the reality of God in a truly balanced way. And yes, there's a time to be angry at sin, but deal with it in a proper, godly, kind, we're getting to that, gracious, yes, way. Doesn't mean you compromise the truth of God, but you do it the right way. You speak the truth in love. Be ye angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. You know, uh, that there in verse 26, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. You would think we'd be more spiritual in the winter. (laughs) The sun just kind of goes, there it is. And then with all the clouds, right? And it isn't just because we live in St. Cloud. (laughs) But sometimes I wonder about that. I know why we haven't seen the sun in five weeks. It's because of St. Cloud. That's why they named it that. Not really. But look at that, verse 26, 27. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. They go together. Being angry at sin is one thing. God even gets angry at sin. But when we dwell, here's the key, folks. When we dwell on the failures of others, it ends up destroying lives. It destroys that person's life and it destroys our life as well. Some people are experts at seeing the faults in others and not themselves. But what does that accomplish? It accomplishes nothing. Nothing good is accomplished by that. When the flesh and self-righteousness comes into the picture, the Bible calls it sin. And one of the greatest ways the devil gets a foothold in the body is by people not resolving their conflicts with one another as soon as possible. That's why it says, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Listen, you've got a problem with somebody? Be honest and in kindness with self-control, go and talk to that person in humility and get that thing resolved. As a matter of fact, In our church, that's one of the things you agree to if you become a member here at Northland, that you're not going to allow a conflict with somebody to continue on. You're going to take care of that. Fix it. When we are angry with one another, we hinder the work of God. Do we understand how important that is? We have a mission to accomplish. This is serious. The Great Commission is for us to do as a church. We need to have unity to do that. We need to move as one force, as one body to accomplish the work. Some of the greatest hindrances to the work of God are the children of God. Well, the devil this, the devil. Forget about the devil. He's real. We'll deal with them. But you know what the bigger problem is, is we are the bigger problem. 
It's our pride. It's our sin nature. And he fuels it. Yes, he'll fuel it. Well, the devil made me do it. No, the devil doesn't make us do anything. If you're saved, he doesn't make you do anything. He's a great salesman. He's a great tempter. But we choose. We choose to hold a grudge. We choose to be self-righteous. We choose to be prideful. And it hurts the work. Nothing will ever be accomplished if there is infighting. Imagine a war, an actual physical war, and just about the time the troops are about to engage the enemy, they get upset with each other and start shooting at each other. You might say, that would be insane. But that's what's going on in many churches today. They're not engaging the enemy out there. They've made each other enemies. Listen, if Satan can get a foothold in someone's life, he can sidetrack them and take one more soldier out of commission. And he's happy to do it. That's why, what does it say? Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Be angry. Yeah, be angry at sin. God is angry at sin, isn't he? But don't sin. When we dwell on the failures of others, that is what leads to the problem. Don't give place to the devil. Verse 28, Ephesians 4, verse 28. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. What a turnaround from stealing. Okay, evidently, Thieves were very common at the time. Of course, thieves are very common today. Listen, it it may not be something tangible that we take. It could be things like stealing from our employer because we're wasting our time when we should be working. Could be a lot of things where we're stealing. Could be in school, you're stealing answers that aren't yours. You cheat. Cheating is stealing. What a turnaround, though, from stealing which is, by the way, the fruit of the old man, right? Instead of taking from another, let's work so we can give to other people. Instead of stealing from them, let's work so where we can have more than we need to where we can give to other people. What an opposite thing that is from the way the world operates. Giving is the fruit of the new man. Did you know giving is the heart of Christianity? It's the heart, it's the core. For God so loved the world that he gave. Let's move on. Number two, verses 29 through 30, we are to have profitable words. Profitable words. In verse 29, it says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that means building up, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. The word corrupt I know we've covered this before, but it's a word that was used to describe rotting fruit in the marketplace. I don't think there's a whole lot that's more gross than rotting fruit. You ever open up your vegetable bin? You just got a hankering for an apple, right? And you open it up and you grab the thing and your finger kind of sinks into the side of it a little bit. Hopefully not too far. Rotting fruit. It's like, eh, I don't think so. You might say, oh, but and pastor, isn't it awful if you bite into a piece of fruit and you see a worm in there? What's worse? You bite into a piece of fruit and you see half a worm in there. <laughs> Let no rotten talk come out of your mouth. Wow. Is that convicting or what? 
The contrast is clear, isn't it, between the old and the new. What is he saying? Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. The contrast is clear. Instead of saying things that tear down and destroy each other and the church, say things that build up one another and the church. Use your tongue. We are to use our mouths as instruments of righteousness, not instruments of destruction, okay? But a lot of people use it as an instrument of destruction. We love to see and tell everybody else all the faults in everybody else and what's wrong with them instead of saying, what's wrong with me? Don't tear down and destroy with your mouth. Instead, build up one another and the church. That's what the word edify means. It means to build up. We talk about a building being an edifice. It's related. It's the related word to build up, to construct something that's profitable. That's what we should be doing. The old saying is still a true one. When you sling mud, you lose ground. And that's true. Proverbs, the book of wisdom says in Proverbs eighteen twenty one, death and life are in the power of the tongue and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Okay, you'll reap what you sow, depending on what you do with your mouth. You notice in verse 29, it says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. Look at this last phrase, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. I don't know why I thought of it. The words came this week, but I thought, what should we be doing? We should serve up unmerited kindness to other people. And I got this picture in my mind of just having a tray, and on top of that tray is grace. And just going around to people with a smile on our face. Hey, could I serve you up some grace today? How can I show you some unmerited kindness? What can I do for you just to be a blessing and show you that I care about you? That's grace. Yeah, but you know what? Boy, they you know, they've got, these, they've got this habit or they don't smell good or this or that and, and all that. You know what? Doesn't Jesus go beyond that? He goes beyond that. Minister grace. What a breath of fresh air grace is. Now listen, we're not perfect here in our church and I know that, but I can tell you this, folks. Over the years, probably a long time now. We've had, as a matter of fact, it happened just, just recently, about a month or two ago. We had some people visited here, and they came and they said, the atmosphere here is remarkable. I came in and immediately my spirit was lifted. I was encouraged. You know what that is? That's grace at work. That's what it is. It's grace at work. It doesn't mean we're soft on sin. What it means is that we are we're loving people, okay? We're trying to help people with this. Well, that person, they're, they're in this and that's in. Okay, what can we do to help them out of it? Because we're all sinners, right? What can I do to help that person out? That's why we have an addictions program, by the way. Minister grace. The Lord wants us to erect a building for himself, an edifice. The old nature and the devil want to tear it down. It's like building a foundation of bricks, okay? You take it and you're mason, you you put that there, okay? And you you put that brick in place and then you're going on and and you're going right down the line putting bricks in place and you look down and there's somebody at the end taking the bricks off. 
Say, how are you ever going to build a foundation to build a building? It's not going to get done until that kind of stuff stops and everybody starts doing the same thing. Building, fulfilling the Great Commission, and encouraging each other along the way to do it. That's how it works. The old nature and the devil want to tear it down. Verse 30, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Did you know that God has emotions? He does. Now they're perfect. I said, I've never heard that before. Well, the word grieve means to inflict sorrow, to afflict somebody with sorrow. You grieve somebody. We can grieve God. How do we do it? By sinning. That's how we do it. When we sin, God is grieved by that. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed until the day of redemption. By doing the things we shouldn't do, we grieve the Holy Spirit. By living contrary to the Word of God. Now notice this. Isn't it interesting? He's, he's telling us all these things not to do, and then he puts in here this reminder once again. Now remember, you're children of God. You're sealed. Nothing can take away your salvation. Sealed into the day of redemption. What a great picture of eternal security. It is the very fact that we are saved forever that gives us the greatest motivation to do what's right. Namely, what's the greatest motivation? Namely, God's love and grace. That's the greatest motivation. I'm saved forever. I'm grateful I'm saved forever. I'm a child of God. God loves me. He'll never lose me. He'll never cast me out. I fail at times, but he still loves me. And he wants to bless my life and he wants to use me and give me greater things now and forever than I could ever have before I was saved. You know what? That motivates me. That drives me. That's fuel in my tank. And that's the way it should be. Not a fear of being lost or doubting whether I'm saved or not. Our foundation is that we are eternally secure in Christ. And out of that comes our Service of love for him. Hold your place here, chapter 4. Look back to chapter 1, verse 13. It says, In whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, the gospel, the good news. What is it that Jesus, God in the flesh, came to earth, died on the cross, paid for our sins, was buried, and rose again the third day? And all he asks us to do is believe put our faith in him that he did that for us and he gives us eternal life. That's good news. And it's eternal life. That means you can't lose it once you have it. I continue, by the way, every, not every week, several times a month, getting emails, people who are struggling with their salvation, whether they're saved or not. Folks, I get to an end in myself. I can't do anything more. I feel terrible inside these people. I don't know what's going on in their minds. All I can do is point them to the cross and to the verses in the Bible that deal with this, to our series, Secure Forever, that's online, to the book, Secure Forever, the booklets that we have. We have lots of booklets dealing with this. My heart grieves for them. How wonderful it is to believe what God says and know you're saved because God said it. It's what it comes down to. It's not based on performance. It's based on promise our foundation. In whom you also trusted after that, you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed. What happened when you believed? You were sealed 
you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. And once you were sealed, you were sealed according to chapter 4, you're sealed right here until the day of redemption. That's when the Lord comes to take us home. I'm sealed. You know what that means? I can't lose my salvation. What if you live a wicked life? I can't lose my salvation. Doesn't mean that the Lord won't discipline me in this life, but I can't lose my salvation. Why? My sins are gone. I can't go to hell because I don't have any sins to send me there. They're taken care of. Which leads us to number three. We need to have a godly attitude, verses 31 through 32. Verse 31, let all bitterness, that's nasty, and wrath and anger and clamor, clamor to shout back and forth with people. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Verse 31 is a picture of someone who allows a bad attitude to grow, and they become very hostile inside. They become very angry inside, and then it explodes on somebody else. Verse 32, instead, be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Be kind, okay? That means useful towards others. Good nature. Gentle towards others. You know, I think one of the great lessons of the Christian life as you get older as a Christian, if you're walking with Christ, is you become a kinder person. You've noticed that? You become a kinder person? Hopefully. (laughs) If you're growing in Christ-likeness, you will. You'll become more kind. We're less tolerant when we're younger. And I don't mean tolerant of evil. I'm just saying we're just more rigid when we're younger. As you get older, you become kinder as a person. Next one, tenderhearted. It means compassionate. You're moved inside yourself to help someone else. It is related to the word compassion in Matthew 9, 36, where it says, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. You become tenderhearted towards others. What can I do to help that person? That's a hurting person there. That person needs Christ. What can I do? Isn't that a beautiful thing? This is beautiful text. And then this is the crown jewel of all this. Forgiving one another. I usually don't quote Greek terms, but I'll do it here. Charizomai is the Greek term. It is the root word for our word grace. Charis is the word for grace. Grace is unmerited favor, unmerited kindness. It is undeserved. Can I say it again? Grace is undeserved. Grace is not. If you jump through these several hoops, I'll give you a break and treat you nice. That's not grace. Grace is, you know what? You may have mistreated me, but I'm going to treat you in a godly way, and I'm going to love you no matter what. Is that not exactly what Jesus Christ has done for us? It's pictured in the cross. You might say, I don't see grace in John 3.16. Funny, I do. I see grace all over John 3.16. It's just not, the word's not there, but the concept is, the verse is pregnant with grace. Is that okay to use that word? Grace is unmerited. It's undeserved. When someone wrongs us, we are to forgive them, even though they don't deserve forgiveness. We oftentimes struggle with this. Do you know why we struggle with it? 
It isn't because of the sin of the other person. It's because of our pride. And, well, I don't like that. Well, it's true. You're rubbing my fur the wrong way. Well, turn the cat around. Remember Peter in Matthew 18? Lord, how many times should I forgive? Seven times? I don't know if Jesus shook his head or not. But if he did, it wouldn't surprise me. No, Peter. Seventy times seven. And by the way, that passage on forgiveness is one of the most powerful passages in all the Bible. Listen. And in the text of Scripture, it is right before the passage on divorce and adultery and all of that. Coincidence? I don't think so. I don't think so. We oftentimes struggle with this issue of forgiveness, and I understand it, folks. Listen, to be hurt, to be sinned against, to be offended, that can be rough. But who am I not to forgive when Jesus Christ has forgiven me of every sin I've ever done or ever will do wrong? He did it the moment I trusted Christ. All my sin was forgiven. And you know what? There's a very good chance that many of the things we go to the grave with, holding bitterness towards somebody else about, many of those things are less than something serious. Not always, but many times. When we see our sin as God does, in the end, there shouldn't be any problem with forgiveness. God forgave us of all of our sin at one time when we believed, even though we did not deserve it or ever will deserve it. We will never deserve the complete forgiveness that Jesus Christ gave us. And that's what grace is about. And that is how we are supposed to treat one another. Well, pastor, don't you think when a person offends that they should go to that person and apologize and ask them to forgive them? Yes, I do. And you know what that brings? It can not only bring forgiveness, it can bring reconciliation. But forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same. I can forgive even though another person doesn't want reconciliation. See, if you don't forgive, it'll eat you alive. You're the one it hurts if you don't forgive. Let it go. There's two words in the Bible, by the way, New Testament, forgiveness. One of them is this one, charizomai. It means to act in grace towards a person. The other one is to release, dismiss it. And they work beautifully together, forming really the doctrine of forgiveness. Colossians 2.13, it says, And you being dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened, made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. How many? All trespasses. That's why you can be saved. That's why you can have eternal life, because he took care of all your sin when you believed. These people today, well, I think I'm going to heaven, But if I sin and I don't confess it and I die with unconfessed sin, I'll go to hell. You don't understand the cross. You don't understand the gospel. All that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. I got one more thing to say about this issue of forgiveness, folks, and I want you to see it. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Well, I'm going to keep holding on to my grudge until they come crawling on their knees a hundred yards and ask me a million times to forgive them. Then I'll pray about it. Shame on you. 
Let it go. I've had people over the years offend me. I've had people stab me in the back. And I've had one, at least one, come and confess it and ask for my forgiveness. Will you forgive me? I said, I forgave you years ago. I'm glad you came, though. I'm glad you came. But I forgave you years ago. Do you know why? I don't want to carry the weight of that offense on my back. Got enough to carry. We all do. Let it go. Forgive. Jesus forgave you of everything. Can you not forgive that one person of that one thing? Matthew 6, 14, Jesus said, if you forgive them their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. This is not talking about going to heaven. This is relational. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Yikes. That's an issue of fellowship. My fellowship cannot be what it should be between me and the Lord as his child if I am holding on to bitterness and hatred and resentment and all that against another person. Let it go. Again, can I say it one more time, folks? There is not one offense represented in this room that can match up to an entire lifetime of sin. And God forgave you of everything when you trusted in him. And by the way, no one's offended more by sin than God himself. He's the holy God. Sin stinks more to him than any human being. And yet he forgives. Why? Grace. That's why. One last verse. Romans 5, 8, it says this, But God commendeth his love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Listen, folks, this is so incredibly important. What I've covered today, listen, you may have come in here today holding on to resentment or bitterness. Do you know what the good news is? You can leave it here today. You can walk out of here a free person. Would you take care of it today between you and God? Will you forgive that person? Forgive them. Let it go. Well, if they come, now that would be wonderful if they come, but what if they never come? What are you going to do with the one, the person who died? You might say, I guess I'm locked into this. You don't have to be locked into it. You can forgive them and go free. You can live with the joy of forgiveness and you can go free, even though that person may have died and never reconciled with you. You can take care of it today. You should take care of it today. It's wonderful to live free. You can have it. If you haven't trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you need to trust him as your Savior. If you'll put your faith in him, he will forgive you of your whole lifetime of sin, and you can go free. It's a wonderful thing. That's the God of the Bible, the God of grace. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.